0: You. Good morning. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. When I was a little boy, my mom used to read to me every Sunday, uh, every, every night, when she would uh, tuck me into bed, from a children's Bible story book. And I remember reading this story and identifying with Cain because I thought, I don't know if God would be happy with my sacrifice, that he would be happy with my offering. And I remember this was a pretty troubling passage. So let's read it together and see if we can understand it. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Does God have favorites? Does he show partiality to one over another? In this case, Abel over Cain? Does God prefer shepherds to farmers? Does he prefer animal sacrifice to fruits and vegetable offering? If God does play favorites, I'm in trouble. At least that's the way I see it. I remember as a child, when friends would uh, play a game of uh, pickup baseball, we divided the group into teams. Usually the best players became the captains, and then they would pick their teams, taking turns. And maybe my memory isn't that good. But what I remember is always being picked last, or next to last. I was small. I was not talented. And I did not have good equipment. I don't know whether it was the first, the second, the third, or all of the above that I was picked last, but it's tough being picked last or second to the last. By the way, there's a huge difference between last and second to the last. <laughs> Only pride knows it, I think. <clears throat> and the fact is, there's, there's always somebody better. But this, this Genesis 4, 1 through 7, this is not about favorites. This is about worship. The purest form of worship is always voluntary. It's freely given. In fact, the word worship is a shortened form of the old word worthship. Which means showing God the worth that He holds in our life. The worth that God has in our heart. The worth that God has to me. I show to Him in my worship. My worship. My acknowledgement of Him my elevation of Him, my lifting Him up is an expression of His worth. The priority that I place upon Him, the value that I place upon Him, that's demonstrated in worship. Here, if God were choosing a baseball team, He would choose me uh, not on my size, not on my talent, not on my equipment, but he would choose me based on the worth that I place upon him, the worth that he holds in my life. I would probably still be chosen last. Perhaps that's because I'm fully aware that God's worth is much greater than the worth that I show Him. Much, much greater than the value that I place upon Him. But this passage challenges me. It uh, urges me to value God on a much greater scale than I do. Here, God responds to Cain and Abel based not on their size, not on their talent, not on their equipment. And I mean that seriously. He responds solely on the basis of their worship, how they show God the worth that He has to them. Worship shows God the worth He has in our hearts, in our lives. And here, Cain and Abel come to say thank you. It's very important not to miss what Genesis has made ever so plain. And yet sometimes we can start to look right past it. That God is very good. He's created everything. And everything comes from him. God is the good giver of the fruit of the ground. God is the good giver of the flock. And here in this fourth chapter of Genesis, there are some telltale signs that Cain and Abel showed God his worth to each of them. To see the true difference between Cain's thank you and Abel's thank you, we have to clear away any ideas we bring with us to these verses. There's nothing in Genesis so far, absolutely nothing, that tells us about offerings. When? Where? What? who, or why. God gives no instruction. He does not authorize any institution. In fact, here there's not even the mention of a place or an altar. We may suppose suppose that offerings were given starting with Adam, but that's just a good guess there's no evidence here that anyone has offered anything to god given anything to him until we come to genesis chapter 4 verse 3 the word offering aminka is any type of gift you notice In verse 3, 4, and 5, the word offering occurs. Is that what all your versions have? Offering? An offering? That's the word minka. A minka is any type of gift or tribute that any person might voluntarily bring. That's why I say I think it's a thank you. Each brings a thank you. Thank you God for this goodness. They wouldn't even be offering anything to the Lord if it wasn't a thank you. An acknowledgement that this good that they enjoy comes from Him. And so they bring an offering. And it is appropriately called a minkah. It identifies Cain's offering from the fruit of the ground, and it identifies Abel's offering from the firstborn of his flock. It's fat portions. In fact, if we look at this, there's much that's similar. In verse 3, as I have projected on the screen behind me, we read that in the course of time, Cain presented, the word is bow. Some versions read brought. Both Cain is said to have brought an offering, and so is Abel. He brought an offering as well. Cain presented an offering, a minkah to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, he, he also presented And then in brackets, I have, again, bow written out there so that you know it's the same word for brought or presented that's being used. Although it doesn't mention, because of the parallelism, it's understood that Abel too brought an offering to the Lord. And then similarly to Cain's, of the firstlings of his flock, and of their fat portions, or the firstborn of his flock and its fat portions. I do bring out in verse 4 something that's rather striking. Genesis brings out in the description of Abel a real emphasis on the person of Abel. He. He also. Some would even translate that he indeed, or he even he presented pointing to the person of Abel and then his gift from the firstborn of his flock and its fat portions to us this thank you gift doesn't seem or sound, or appear in any way different from that of Cain's. But when we get to verse 5, if we didn't know Hebrew and if we weren't from that culture, it would only be at verse 5 that we would sense that something is very different. And the Lord had regard for Abel, and then, I have put then in brackets, it is an inference from the Hebrew. There's an ordering: the person and then the offering. The Lord had regard for Abel and then for his offering, but for Cain and then for his offering. And notice again, the word "offering" is the same. It's not that one is a sacrifice and one is, a, you know, the, one is a a blood sacrifice and one is a produce. Sacrifice. It has nothing to do with the kind in that sense. They're both called tribute offerings. But God literally uh, sees one offering and does not see another. In fact, that's the very nature of the word regard. In uh, most versions, they read, God had regard. Do you see the word regard in the verse end of verse 4 and in verse 5? The word means to gaze, to gaze upon, or to look upon. The New International version words it well, to look upon. You could say that Abel's offering caught God's attention. Because it showed a worth. It showed the value, the esteem. It showed the appreciation of God that Abel had for him. But he did not see that, he did not see that in Cain's offering. He did not observe that regard in Cain's offering. And the difference is apparent because Abel brings the firstborn and its fat portions But Cain, whereas Abel brings the first and the best, Cain just brings from the produce. He doesn't bring the first fruits. You might even say that if if Cain were a clothing manufacturer, And he got his start because God bankrolled his business. It would be like Cain showing his appreciation by just grabbing something off the rack. Abel, on the other hand, and this is clear to ancient cultures, he gives the firstborn. In other words, he doesn't think about the profit of his enterprise by waiting until the firstborn has been able to then bear yet others, but he actually gives the very first produce, the very firstborn, and he gives the fat portions. In other words, what is the value of the firstborn? Well, it would be for food. And he gives the very best portions, the fat portions, the prized portions. That would be which would be most acceptable. If anybody were setting a table or anyone said, this is what is delicious or edible or worthy. I mean, why would you even eat this thing? This is what you would eat it for. And that's what the firstborn was used for. He could have waited until it, in turn, multiplied the size of his flock and then just brought any sheep. In other words, it's very clear that Abel truly acknowledged that God was the source. And in acknowledging God, I mean, he really, so to speak, put his faith on the line. He said thank you in the most appropriate way, and Cain did not. And it showed up. God turned his attention. He was touched, you could say, in the way we might talk about it. Your attitude, your disposition, it, it touches me. It's from the heart, we, we would say. And so, when we look at verse 5, the Lord had regard for Abel. It wasn't that He cared for Abel more, or valued Abel more, or that this was all determined from the outset. But He actually saw the value that Abel placed upon Him. And it is what's in our heart. And not the gift. You could give a very expensive gift, but it may not necessarily express your heart. The fact that this gift was of great value, but it was the firstborn, expressed the kind of person Abel was, expressed the kind of worth that God held to Abel. Worship is showing to God the worth that he holds in our lives, in our heart. Now, this isn't just Cain's story. At times, this is a state of our hearts too. Just this morning, because I've had this on my mind, and in fact, you know, I start thinking about, the passage for the coming Sunday very early in the week, and, and 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 the heart, the thrust of this started to emerge around Wednesday, and I, I, I found myself going through each day thinking, God, how can I show you what you mean to me? How much I value you. How, how can I show you, Lord, in my attitude? My attitude... On the job. My attitude toward others. I can show you the place of priority that you have in my life. I mean, this could be the the real acid test, right? The truth. Give me the truth. Lord, I can... You know my heart, but I can show you the true place you have in my life by the way I treat others out there waiting in line to have my food checked at the, count, at the checkout stand, or driving in the car, or with my spouse, or with my children, or co-workers, or the way I handle something I didn't expect when things don't go my way. I can still show your worth to me. There would be no thank you offering, no minkah if there wasn't some recognition of, of God's goodness. But I think Cain had his eyes and this is just an inference I think Cain had his eyes on the goodness that God showed to Abel. It wasn't that God had not showed the same goodness. Cain. Remember, Cain is the firstborn. He's the one who's named Cain because he's considered an acquisition. In fact, that's the very word in Hebrew for Cain. It comes from the verb Kana. And Abel. Although some conject some have conjectured for years it, it means nothing. Others, breath. But it's not expressed. There's nothing, there's no attention drawn to his name. Maybe there's an allusion there to a little bit of sibling rivalry. Another inference might be that Cain feels that what he produces is more has more to do with his effort, the, the very sweat of his face, which was, uh, God said, going to be a part of man's existence in tilling the ground. Maybe he feels that he's earned this. He's done this. I don't know. But I do think that Cain has had his eyes on God's goodness to Abel. And isn't that interesting how that works? How we can start to kind of take God's goodness for granted and pretty soon we don't even see it as good anymore. I mean, how do you define good? Saturday morning... In my neighborhood, there were a lot of signs. I don't know, these things hit like viruses, but garage sales, you know? One has a garage sale, then everybody has a garage sale. And what people are getting rid of, others are greedily and hungrily gathering up. One man's trash is another man's treasure. In other words... (laughs) nothing's changed since the serpent spoke. You'll be like God. You'll get to decide what's good. And so often, really, what we think is good is not what we have, it's what someone else has. In fact, sometimes what another person really thinks is good causes the other person looking on to think it's really good. I think Cain had his eyes on Abel and God had treated them even-handedly. And when we see that Cain became hot, it says he, he, he grew angry and his countenance fell. His his face fell. That suggests to me that he resented the good that God had shown to Abel, and he ignored the good that God had shown to him. There was no partiality. Cain was envious. And that envy grew out of an ignorance or an overlooking or a devaluing or a growing too comfortable with the very good that God had shown him. And it showed up in his gift. But what the passage emphasizes, what Genesis here emphasizes, is the person. God looks at the person and then the gift. But God didn't reject Cain. He turned to Cain. He turned to Cain like I would want God to turn to me. He turns to Cain about his attitude. And here this is a perfect opportunity for Cain to grow up and let God change his heart. And God tells Cain, Look, it's a beautiful basket of fruit and vegetables, but your heart isn't into worship. I'm giving your brother an A, and I'm flunking you in worship 101. But here's the good news, Cain there's going to be another opportunity for you to take this course, there'll be another chance. And Cain had a choice. He can listen to God. He can learn. He can change. He can grow up. He can can do all of that, or he can throw a pity party and stay in his anger. And Cain chose to get stuck. There's an underlying lesson here for us, too. Don't come to Jesus if you want to stay stuck in your bad attitude and behavior. Because even though Jesus loves you and He loves me as we are, He's not going to allow us to stay stuck. He's going to address the area that we're stuck in. He's going to mess with us. You know, it's God's idea to transform us and sometimes that transformation includes pain it includes us changing our idea of what is good and sometimes we think it's good just to be stuck where we are because we're stuck on our own idea of good god wants to change us from our idea of good to his idea of good And that should really encourage us because it's a beautiful one. It's His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants to turn you and me into the very image, into the very person of Jesus Christ. You can't do that by sitting still. It's part of our sinful disposition to decide what is good, to tell God what is good. To want to stay stuck. But we have to hear the Lord speaking to us. Telling us He's got a better idea. Worship is showing God His worth to us. A beautiful experience is showing God His worth. You know, this morning, when when we were singing these beautiful songs, it hit me that... uh, Even in this, I can show God His Word. I don't even have to write the music. I don't have to be an instrumentalist. I don't have to be a poet. It's all provided, but I can put my heart into it. But sometimes we don't feel comfortable or I'm not quite in the mood. Whose eyes who do we have our eyes on at times like that? Our idea of good or on God, His goodness and His graciousness? When we have our eyes on Him and His goodness, He'll create gladness. He'll give us Gladness glasses. I know it's kind of corny. You might say, John, I got to be honest with you this morning. I just don't have the capacity or the eyes to see God's goodness to me. It just so happens that when we start to look around at the good that others enjoy, we get involved in that subtraction thing. But one thing that we all have in common this morning... Is what God would lift up to us and show us is the good that He's given to each and every one of us. It's interesting, when Jesus was with His very first disciples, they were remembering, they were celebrating, and it was a prescribed time and place. It was a prescribed time and place. And they were looking back on God's great deliverance of His people when He brought them out of Egypt. And He told them to be ready for what He was going to do. It's going to come as a surprise, but be ready by having unleavened bread and taking this firstborn lamb and uh, putting the blood on the post and the lintel, that the angel of death might pass over. And he brought them out. And now, so many years later, Jesus with his first disciples, they were remembering it. And when Jesus passed the bread, which symbolized that unleavened bread of readiness, he said, this is my body which is given for you. And when they took that cup, he said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. And even to them, He was saying that I am the Passover Lamb. And I am the great work of God. You know, it is amazing when we take this bread and this cup, we are recognizing and acknowledging that God puts a great value on you. A great worth. The worth of His very own Son. You... In so many words, God is saying, are worth my one and only Son to me. Because to really grasp the good, you have to accept it. Not look past it. You have to really value it in your heart. And that's what we do when we take this bread and this cup this morning. We acknowledge His worth. We pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. And we want to even be more thankful. We know in our humanness, uh, we have a, a tough time truly valuing and assessing your worth. But each one of us in our own way can show You the supreme worth You are to us. And we seek to do that now with all of our hearts, Lord. Each in our own way to say, You are precious to me. And we do it by acknowledging Your gift and Your goodness. And there is a supreme example that we will hold in our hand when we take this bread and this cup. We thank You, Lord, for Your goodness, Your graciousness, for the forgiveness of all of our shortcomings, and for the high value that You put upon us. May we return it in the way we show Your worth to us in our worship, here, there, and everywhere. In Jesus' name, We pray, amen. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.